You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Hello, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? Great. I just went up to Coeur d'Alene to see my daughter, and, you know, anytime I travel through that Montana If you go to area, see all your kids and grandkids, you ain't never going to be on this program. It's true. <laughs> but, you know, when I travel through Montana... I always picture Chief Joseph and the Nez Perce yeah. Indians. That's, yeah. I just can't help but look across those hills and see them, uh, you know, riding across the hills. I so. just saw, and maybe you saw it on TV, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the program. It was on uh, America by Horseback. Oh, okay. And it was on RFD TV, and they had ridden the chief joseph trail yeah i know they do it was really interesting to watch that yeah i know there are groups that will do trail rides like lewis and clark like uh, the nest person anyway so uh what are we going to talk about today we are going to go to a good old stage robber how's that your nephew (laughs) no (laughs) so here's the deal zeb it was you know pretty rare that a uh we call them road agents or robbers, bandits, whatever. Some were pretty dumb. They were. But, the, hey, this one has a different approach oh, I'm going to okay. tell you about. Right. Anyway, it was kind of rare for anybody to single-handedly rob a stage. But William, uh, quote, Brazen Bill, Brazelton. Near Brazen Bill. Brazen Bill, near Tucson, Arizona Territory in 1878. He escaped the lawmen by a variety of pretty ingenious methods. But when it came time to surrender or die he was shot full of holes before he could get off a shot and for decades afterward tucson's superstitious citizens saw brazen bill's ghost haunting the road near where he was killed no kidding brazelton got his start as an arizona criminal at prescott the previous year now let me just tell you about prescott this was a kind of a picturesque uh, location kind of uh, nice neatly painted houses with white picket fences uh, up on top of the mountain y- no well i don't know it's in yeah. prescott it- no prescott's beautiful town okay yeah i've been there yeah, many many the times. homes were furnished with uh, furniture carpets mirrors rocking chairs table lamps just a a nice cozy little village type town yeah so it was to the dainty american town of prescott that william whitney brazelton came in mid-1876 and announced that he would put on a show for the entertainment-starved people. Mm -hmm. Now, a majority of the residents of Prescott were waiting for this and just hoping for something to happen. Well, Brazelton had come into Arizona as the proprietor of a remarkable traveling show. You sure got a lot of words with P's. I know. It's coming. (laughs) He advertised that his troupe would perform in Prescott, And what surprised most residents was his announcement that during their performance, he would swallow a wagon wheel. Okay, now, now wait, wouldn't, whoa, that, whoa. wouldn't that get your interest? Mr. Brazelton yeah. okay. would swallow. That's a big wheel. Yeah, well, he's a big guy. 
(laughs) So, you know, so here it is on the date of the event. The house was filled beyond capacity with residents. They were intent on seeing this uh, amazing event, Uh, something so wondrous it had never been uh, before seen or heard of. And the thought of a man swallowing a wagon wheel kind of captured the imagination. And Brazelton, he was slightly over six feet tall, weighed over 200 pounds. He was a a pretty good-sized man by 19th century standards. And if any man in the Arizona Territory could do it, Brazelton assured them he was the man. Okay, he collected money at the gate, then announced that his troop had just arrived. I see. Seeing how anxious the crowd had become, Brazelton said he would excuse himself to hurry along the rest of the troop, announcing that the show must proceed. Uh huh. Now, how long the people waited before they realized that they had been uh, duped is not recorded, but they never saw Brazelton again in Prescott. No person had lost more than the price of a ticket, so everyone had a good laugh and went about their business, and with characteristic Western humor, this brazen bill became known as the man who swallowed a wagon wheel. Wait a minute. And didn't. This guy is quite a con man. He is. He, is. he gets these people from the West, yeah. this town of Prescott, to They're come starving in. for hunting. Starving for entertainment, and he charges them to sit down and wait while he's going to eat a wagon wheel. Right, and then he's on his horse at about three or four miles out of town. With the money. With the money, of course. Sure, Mm. sure. Anyway, Brazelton made his way south to Tucson, where he took a job in the stables and corrals, uh, which, uh, though well below his capabilities, had certain advantages. It was not a particularly desirable occupation, so he could leave whenever he wanted, stay away for a week, and return to find his job. So he was actually just uh, mucking out stalls. Really? Okay. So, But this gave him the opportunity to... To begin his career robbing stages. Oh my goodness. So he created a costume and devised... See, there's opportunities at starting at the bottom. Well, sure. And he was at the bottom. <laughs> but he devised a peculiar method of operation that he started out and tried the very first time on September 27th at, in, eight, in 1877. So, it's 6 o'clock at night. That's coming up in two days, three yeah. days. 6 o'clock at night, there's a stout-built road agent stopped uh, the coach from Prescott. The lone robber, highwayman, was dressed in old worker's clothes, his pants tucked into his boots. A stable hand might uh, look like this, and he wore a mask of black gauze. He was armed with a shotgun, but also held a revolver. He ordered the driver to get off and hold the the horse leaders by the bits, and then ordered passengers out, a guy by the name of Gus Ellis, another guy named Dan Thorne, to get out of the wagon. He smashed open the treasure box, slid open the mailbags, got all the valuables, then ordered everyone back into the stage and told them to get the heck a-going. Get the heck. Get the heck a-going, yes. Uh-huh. I'm sure that was his word. Positive. And in this stagecoach robbery, Brazelton took $600 from a registered package, a package of gold dust and bars, Valued at thirteen hundred, mm. and another four hundred and seventy in currency, and a letter, letter worth a uh, hundred, and other uh, items worth about one hundred and fifty. So he made a really good haul here, over two thousand, twenty five hundred, something yeah. like that. So anyway, the robber next appeared in New Mexico, where he stopped several coaches. The last one was uh, near Silver City, and this was in eighteen seventy eight. A civilian going by the name of Colonel Willard, and. There goes my phone. Yeah, there goes your phone. You know, uh, welcome to the world of technology. Yes. You just broke the aura of all okay. we were learning about stage robberies. Okay, let, let's go back. Let's go back. <laughs> now we're in New Mexico. Okay. He's got a stage show stopped. It's 1878. And in the stage is Colonel Willard 
and Lieutenant Frank West were on the coach. The robbery was committed at night, and at, uh, the report stated that he had a pistol strapped to his gun. So somehow he had his rifle. Wait a minute. He had his rifle and a pistol strapped to it. And the pistol was somehow tied onto the rifle. So he had two guns pointing in the same direction. Yeah. Anyway, he made off with three bars of bullion. Uh, The last he would not take when he discovered how heavy it was. And also, (laughs) it's pretty impossible to convert it into currency without raising some suspicion. Anyway, the peculiar method of operation had Brazelton's mark on it. And the only change was that he had replaced the flimsy black gauze with a more durable mask with eye holes cut and a red mouth sewn on it. Why? I, I don't know. I You're the history man. He, a red mouse sewn on this. I guess he wanted to make a point. I have a question quickly, him. though. I have a quick question. Now, he did the first robbery in Prescott, Arizona. Right. Then he did the second one in, in New Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Did they, the law, hear about what he had done in Prescott? I think over time it became, uh, they started to tie it into with him. Oh. So, but anyway, he would uh, kind of change his appearance enough. Uh, to make witnesses uh, kind of not really sure how to describe him. Sometimes he seemed taller. Sometimes he still looked shorter, sometimes heavier. So he, he was kind of smart that way. But he got tired of the long trips to find a new stagecoach to rob. So Brazelton realized that, he, that there was enough treasure coaches near home to satisfy what he needed. So he was determined to find a place near Tucson and recruit assistance in keeping his horse, getting supplies. So he chose the ranch of a young man by the name of David Nimitz. Should and, I remember that? Yes, because he's going to come into play a little later. I see. So this guy has a ranch. So the young man, he was well thought of as an honest guy. He would... Uh, later relate how he unwillingly became kind of an accessory to these robberies. Mm. Okay, Now, Brazelton called on Nimitz one day and just asked a couple of questions and then left. But he returned the next day and he asked for a confidential conversation with Nimitz. Uh-oh. All right. So the first day, uh, Nimitz, uh, he said, I saw before me a former fellow laborer in the corral. They had actually worked together. Uh, uh, in the corrals. They were stall uh, cleaners. Yeah, stall buddies, yeah. yeah. So they kind of knew each other. So Brazelton, he said, he told me all about his robberies. I was then in the power of a man who placed little value on his own or anyone's life, and I felt obliged to obey the robber's commands. Uh-huh. So now he has an unwilling accomplice. Okay. So Brazelton didn't waste any time. On August 2nd, the Arizona citizen wrote of a bold stage robbery by a lone highwayman north of, Weston, uh, of Tucson. And here's what it said in the newspaper. This editor has frequently read of the daring deeds of fierce highwaymen, and several times within the last six months, it has been necessary for us to describe the bold operations of these desperados, but never until day before yesterday have we had the good fortune to witness the modus operandi by which these members of the shotgun gentry extract the valuables from a stagecoach and passengers by the simple but magical persuasive power of cold lead. That's all one sentence? <laughs> My English teacher would have ate him up and spit him out. Hey, but, you know, that's where they talked. That's yeah, the but, way, I mean, that was yeah. going on forever. It, it was. Not that was Tolstoy's was, War and Peace. There wasn't a comma or a, or a yeah. I, I admire you. You did that in one breath. I, I did. So, the stagecoach left Tucson on Wednesday at the usual hour of 2 p.m. Arthur Hill was driving, and a guy named J.P. Clum 
one Chinese man and a veterinary surgeon named Wheatley were the only passengers when they reached the ranch at Point of the Mountain, 18 miles northwest of Tucson. Okay, by now it's 5 o'clock in the evening. There's a light rain falling. Ten minutes later, the stagecoach struck the wet sand at a place called the Point of the Mountain, and the horses started to slow down to a walk. Suddenly, someone leaped from behind a bush and, in their rather harsh tones, yelled to the driver to stop the coach. A tall form in a mask that appeared uh, at the left side of the coach. He was covering everyone with a Spencer rifle and a six-shooter. Uh-huh. I told you he had two guns. Yeah. So he commanded them to remain where they were. Now, Clum, one of the uh, the guys that was on, on there, he had a pistol, but it was on the floor of the coach, so he couldn't get it. Wheatley, the other guy, also had a pistol, but it was underneath the blanket. They didn't, it wasn't close, it wasn't handy. So the attack was in open daylight and had been so unexpected that the passengers were, they were totally unprepared. And once under the cover of the robber's arms, everyone was quite willing to do whatever he said. Now, the road agent ordered the passengers out, and after the collection had been taken, he ordered the driver Hill to drive on, and he obeyed, and just as the coach started, the robber uh, extended a very polite invitation to the men. He said to just come back on any time as soon as they felt like they wanted to. Really? Yeah, he just said, you know, if you want to come on back, uh, just help yourself. Well, there was some cordiality there. there. Now, the express box had been empty. There was nothing of great value. So Brazelton only got like $37 out of this. Oh, my goodness. But uh, his booty was so small that it was supposed that he would soon find necessary to hit up another stage and uh, passengers. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, he's not just going to wait around. So Tucson's Citizen newspaper described the ri- robber. Here's what it said. So near as we remember, the man who robbed the stage on Wednesday afternoon was about six feet high and well-built. He had his pants in his boots and wore small brass spurs, such as are used by the Army. His face was covered with a black uh, Muslim mask, having opening for his eyes only. His weapons were a Spencer carbine and a Colt's Army six-shooter. When making the attack, he held his gun to his shoulder, all the time, and his pistol, leveled in the fingers of the left hand, closed close to the gun barrel and parallel with it, which gave the appearance of being fastened to the carbine. So he, it just sounds like he somehow tied the, the pistol to the rifle. Yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, I, for whatever reason. Why? Uh, that, I don't know. I guess he figured he needed it. But okay. So anyway, the it editor... became part of his modus operandi. Operandi, yeah. yes. <laughs> so, the editor had been correct, predicting that the road agent would strike again. And on Thursday, August 14th, the same lone high woman stopped another stagecoach. And the newspaper, The Citizen, reported under the headline, Here we go again. Uh-oh. And that the stagecoach left Tucson with two passengers and with Arthur Hill driving, uh, again driving, John Miller, one of the passengers, was sitting next to him. And as they neared Point of the Mountain, he asked the driver to show him just the place where the coach had been robbed a few days earlier. He didn't do it again, did he? Hill replied that it was only a short distance ahead and he would point out the spot Uh where they had robbed. You see this coming. Yeah. There, said Hill, the robber was behind that bush. And Miller said, 
And there he is again. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So You couldn't write this. I know. There he is again, shouted the driver with the same breath as the same masked robber sprang from behind the same bush and pranced about before the horses shouting, Yes, here I am again. Throw up your hands. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Well, you know, if it worked once, you know, yeah. they would never expect it to be oh, the same no. place. No. no. Anyway, the mail sacks and express box were thrown out as ordered, and the man on the inside lost $8.00. Miller was obliged to give up his pocket book, $226. Anyway, now, the strangest bit of evidence from these robberies was that the tracks of two horses were at the scene of the crime, but no tracks left from there. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Finally, there was a tracker named Juan Elias. He determined that he would solve the mystery. Now, it happened on his second occasion that the robber's horse threw a shoe, creating the odd impression of an animal with three hoofs that were shod traveling in one direction and the fourth unshod hoof in the opposite direction. Okay, follow me here, Zeb. Ready? Elias backtracked the hoofprints to their source and found the robber's horse in the corral of David Nimitz, you know, oh, the young yeah. man. I remember him. On examination, Elias found that the robber had developed a way to turn the horseshoes around. The horses, the shoes had been made especially for this purpose. He had the horseshoes backwards. He put the shoes on the horse backwards. Backwards. But because one of the, he lost his shoe on one. So the one barefoot. Is heading one was direction. going the right way. The, the other three were going the other direction. I thought that was pretty ingenious, Ed. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, so this guy, Elias, he reported his disco- discovery to the sheriff. So Nimitz, the young man, was arrested as an accessory. Bail was set at 2500 Nimitz said he would tell all if he could be protected from this dangerous man. He was still f- afraid. Oh. And then said that he uh, allowed Brazelton to keep his horse in his corral and provide food and water. Anyway, he warned the sheriff that this man would not be taken alive. Nimitz had disclosed that Brazelton was leaving that night to commit another stagecoach robbery and would be weighed down with arms and one thing or another. Yeah. So, anyway, so the county sheriff uh, named Chabelle and his posse. Uh, the plan was for the posse members to assemble near the Mesquite Log where Brazelton was to meet Nemitz, who was to provide the, provide the robber with supplies for the next day's work. When Brazelton arrived at the log, he had upon his person two belts filled with cartridges, two six-shooters, and a Spencer rifle. He approached the log just kind of cautiously, moving slowly. He gave the signal. The signal was a cough. You know, a cough. Do that again. No. <laughs> that wasn't a very good cough. That was a puny it cough. It was a cough. You're not going to rob a stage no, with no. a cough like that. So the signal was given, the cough, which was returned by a posse member. All right? Oh. He then placed his hat on the log to signal Nimitz to come to him. Okay, that was the signal. Mm. Now, something alarmed Brazelton, and he leaned over the log as if to look on the other side. One of the posse members was hiding there. The silence was broken by the blast from a shotgun. Pistol shots followed immediately, and Brazelton explained, You son of a gun. Yeah, I bet that's what he said. As he fell. Yeah. He lay in the darkness, and the posse heard him say, quote, I die brave. I'll pray till I die. That was his last words. That was his last words. (laughs) 
Oh my goodness! Anyway, yeah. so the and those were direct quotes. You didn't direct, change didn't any change, words whatsoever. No, I uh-huh. never do that. Yes, sir. So the posse remained silent. They surrounded the lone prone figure. Uh, they counted ten holes in Brazelton's chest. Do you think they got him? I think they got him. <laughs> the sheriff searched the body and discovered the hood, you know, and some of the loot. So there's no question. But now, Brazelton's body was then taken into Tucson, and they tied him, tied him, tied him upright in a chair. Yeah, and which they did. You know, a yeah. lot of times they laid him out, to put him on display. Yeah, and displayed at the courthouse. He was then photographed and buried the following afternoon. What about Nimitz? Uh, I think they let him go. It doesn't really tell us much. They named an aircraft carrier after him. <laughs> no, this is Nemitz. Oh. Not Nemitz. <laughs> Close. Okay. Anyway, Brazelton was described in the Prescott Enterprise newspaper as, quote, the most successful single-handed highwayman robber of modern times. Boy, did he meet his demise. He did. Ten yeah. shots, yeah. Ten shots. I don't think he lasted long. But as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people, particularly in that area, the older people, uh, they will never go past a place after dark when any tragedy has ever been committed. So there's a place not far from Tucson where it said that they will not pass after dark. The spot where the highwayman, highwayman met a tragic death was avoided after nightfall. And even now, some of the old timers will not go past the place in the dark. And they will tell stories of how a phantom high woman is seen standing in the road just as Brazelton was halted on the night of his death. I bet you Halloween really is scary. That you know, wouldn't it be fun to dress up like him? Oh yeah. And then get shot ten (laughs) times. Yeah, that'd probably get shot. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'd never heard that story before. You know, I just thought it was interesting that yeah. he thought enough to turn the horseshoes backwards. It sounds to me like he was better off in his first profession, which was mucking out stalls. I, I think more successful. Might have got sta- stabbed with a pitchfork, but that yeah. would have been better than a shotgun and all the pistol shots. Yeah. But, you know, I, I thought... Does it amaze you? Have you ever shot some of those old-time guns? I've never shot a uh, like uh, a uh, black powder. I've never shot one of those. Oh, I have. Yeah. And it amazes me, especially with the pistols, the forty fours and the forty fives, how they could hit anything. Yeah. I mean, you really got to watch your P's and Q's. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of times, and when you did have gunfights, if you weren't close, like twenty yeah. feet. Oh, I was going to say like ten, two. <laughs> yeah, you probably would miss. Yeah, really. So, I mean, the days of like when Matt Dillon walked out on the streets of Dodge City, yeah. and they're quite a ways apart. Yeah. I never could understand why the guy that shot first didn't hit him. Well, it never did. Yeah, never. never on all the openings of those shows, you always expect a little change. Yeah. But Matt Dillon shot last and won. And you know, I've told stories about like Annie Oakley and some of those yeah. that were amazing, amazing shots. shots yeah. yeah. Are yeah. you a pretty good shot? You know, I'm okay with a, a rifle, but you put me with a shotgun trying to shoot clay pigeons. Yeah. Uh, I'm terrible. <laughs> I, I am too. Listen, that was a good story, and I appreciate your coming by. You bet. It's good to have you back for a Thank change you. instead of being the world leader and being gone. I know. Okay. <laughs> God bless you, man. Thanks, Thanks. Dr. History, nobody, nobody does it better than Dr. History. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that you know Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. 
New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. 